So this fall, we're studying the parables of Jesus found in the Gospel of Luke. And I want you to remember that Jesus taught in parables. He used parables to give clarity to his message, to give illustrations of what the kingdom of God is all about. Somebody once said that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And what I've found in my own life is that as you read the parables and you study them, as you grow older, uh, at each stage of life, they will speak to you in different ways. And so the parables have multiple meanings. And today we have a very interesting one called the parable of the great dinner. Jesus says, the kingdom of God could be compared to somebody who threw a great dinner and invited many people. But when the time came for the dinner, they all began to make excuses that they could not come. The first one, I've bought six, a piece of land. I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. The second one, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to go try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another one, I've just been married. Maybe they're going on their honeymoon. I cannot come. Please accept my regrets. And so when the slave reported back to the master that all the folks were canceling on the dinner, he got angry. And he said, go out into the streets and find anybody that you can and bring the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame and bring them to my dinner for none who were invited will taste my dinner. Do you remember March of 2020 when COVID made its way into the United States? There was a lot of fear, there was a lot of anxiety, there was a lot of um, uh, uncertainty, but because it was a novel RNA virus, nobody knew much about it, uh, it was very contagious, everything started getting canceled. And, and I remember this because we, like many other families, were on spring break, we were down in Florida, good old 30A, uh, with some other Woodmont people, and um, people were talking about COVID and they were speculating about it and what might happen. But then restaurants started closing and, and, and then uh, shops started closing. And then one day we got up and the beach was closed. You couldn't even go out on the beach. And, and so in a gated resort community, you couldn't even go out on the beach. What are we doing here now, right? They closed the pools, they closed the beach. Uh, most people started heading back home. Fear started to take over. And little did we know what the next two years would have in store. Uh, for many months, we stayed home. We worked from home. Kids didn't go back to school after spring break. Some kids didn't go back to school in the fall of 2020. Uh, every aspect of life was completely interrupted. Now, if you remember, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all bad because... Um, COVID became a nice excuse for some of the things we didn't really want to do as to why we couldn't do it. So that large family Thanksgiving gathering that you really didn't look forward to can't be there, COVID. Uh, that annual gala that you always had to donate to and, and, uh, and wear a dress to, swan ball, other galas, can't do it, COVID. Uh, that trip to your in-law's house for Christmas that you may be dreaded, can't be there this year, COVID, trying to play it safe. COVID gave us an out for a lot of things in addition to having us cancel a lot of things. Now, I want you to fast forward over two years to present day, September, 2022. And life 
for most of us is back to normal at a breakneck speed, right? Most of us are super busy, we're overcommitted, especially young families with kids and all the activities that are going on. We're back to overcommitting, overbooking, overscheduling. Now, if this parable, the great dinner, doesn't speak into our busy, rushed culture today, then I'm not sure what does. God has set a banquet table for all of us, but we are very, very good at making excuses as to why we cannot come. And I'm not just talking about coming to church, which I believe is very important. There's much more to being a Christian than just coming to church. There are many people that come to church every week uh, but they still are missing what the Christian life is all about. I'm talking about the fact that we make excuses in life for not doing so many things that we know will make a difference. Worship, prayer, scripture, service, reflection, small groups, exercise, sleep, counseling, downtime, busyness gets in the way. Hobbies get in the way. Friendships get in the way. Family gets in the way. Many times the things that, that we have that are gifts from God, that are good things, get in the way because we just let them do that. There was a guy named Matthew Kelly. He's a speaker, a Catholic guy, wrote a book called The Rhythm of Life. And in the book he says this, the world is full of men and women who work too much, sleep too little, hardly ever exercise, eat poorly, and are always struggling or failing to find adequate time to spend with their families. We are in a perpetual hurry, constantly rushing from one activity to the next with little understanding of where all this activity is actually leading us. He says, modern parents, and hear this, find themselves in a perpetual rush hurrying from work to school, to daycare, to baseball, to hockey, to ballet, to the doctor, to the supermarket, to the mall, to church, even college students who live a life of leisure in the truest sense of the word are always complaining about how busy they are and the stress and the pressure that they are under. Kelly says the world has gone and gotten itself into an awful rush to whose benefit I do not know. We're too busy for our own good. We need to slow down because our lifestyles are destroying us. The truth is we're very busy, but what are we busy doing? I can make a pretty strong case this morning that, that many of us are busier than we've ever been before, but perhaps we're actually accomplishing less in our lives. Technology, email, text messaging, Facebook, that's supposed to make our lives easier and less chaotic, but it does the opposite. Instead of assisting our lives, technology runs our lives. And what gets pushed out, I think, is time to grow spiritually, time to be still, time to reflect and connect with God and to enjoy this beautiful gift that we call life. So what do we learn from this parable, the great dinner? What are the takeaways? What's Jesus trying to say to us this morning? First of all, I think that we should all seek to the best of our ability to live a life that is faithful to our priorities. So many times we get pulled away from what we know is most important. Uh, in my men's group this week, somebody who's in the sanctuary this morning made a comment that I found really interesting. He said that our desired priorities 
are often very different from our actual priorities. Let me say that again. Our desired priorities are often very different from our actual priorities. What are the desired priorities? Well, most people say faith, family, friends. And that's a great answer. But when it comes to faith, isn't it funny how we live anxious lives? We never are always uncertain about what could happen next. We don't seem to trust God with the future. We wanna control the future. When it comes to our family, we often give them the leftovers, whatever energy or crumbs we have left because we've given our best to complete strangers, but our families deserve our best, right? When it comes to friendships, some of us are really good at carving out time for our friends, but so many times we think about our friends and it occurs to us that we haven't hung out with them in a really long time. We haven't made the effort, we haven't reached out, and with some friends, you know, we can just pick up right where we left off and isn't that great? But with others, you, you, you draw away from each other and, and all of a sudden you, you, you think, what happened? We used to be so close. It's not enough just to know your priorities in life. You have to live your priorities. You have to align your, your time and your resources with the things that you know are most important. Second takeaway this morning. We have to stop making excuses for why our faith isn't growing and why we don't do the things in life that matter most. Why we don't worship and nurture the soul. Why we don't make our family a priority. Why we don't invest in those friendships that I just talked about. Why we don't pray. Why we don't read the Bible. We can rationalize that we are too busy but at the end of the day, we know when we are living a life that is out of balance and out of control. We know when we have taken on more than we can handle and we feel pulled in a thousand different directions. You know, all the A-list guests in this parable had excuses. I just bought land. I just bought some oxen, kind of weird, right? I just got married. Well, bring your spouse. And they all bailed on the dinner. They had some reason why they couldn't be there. And some of the reasons were better than others. But here's what I know. People will find a way to make time for the things that really matter. And if they don't, then they know their life is out of balance. You can feel it. You can sense it. Right after Megan and I got married, we were living in the parsonage. And um, we had a, a breakfast room. We had lots of things happen in the parsonage. The dining room ceiling fell down. Um, uh, so just lots of things. But we, we have a shelf in the breakfast room. And we were getting our wedding presents that people were giving us, you know, bookends, vases. And we had this pine shelf and we just kept stacking things on the shelf, right? Pictures, books, vases, things that I didn't know what they were, but they looked nice, right? You put them up there. Well, all of a sudden, the shelf ripped out of the wall and crashed down onto the table. It was overloaded. It couldn't bear the weight anymore. And too many of us live our lives that way. We keep adding and adding and adding until we run ourselves into the ground. We crash. We all have to figure out what goes on our shelf. What do you have time for? What do you need to let go of? Third, as Christians, as people of faith, we have to do our best to surround ourselves with people who will build us up and make us better and tell us the truth. And once you find those people in your life, invest in them. 
Spend time with them. Make the relationship with them a priority. Sometimes we spend so much time with the people who only want to gossip and talk about superficial things. And there's a time and a place for that. But, but that's not a substitute for the person who will talk to you and love you and tell you what you really need to hear face to face. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes that we should keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they received from us. He says in, in verse 11, he says, some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Or to put that a different way, some of you are running around from one activity to the next, from one place to the next, and you're not really accomplishing anything productive. Now we have to remember that Paul was writing to a group of people in Thessalonica who were convinced that the second coming was near. It was imminent. And so many of them were just sitting around waiting for it to happen. Many of them were choosing not to work because they thought it didn't matter. Paul is reminding them to stay busy doing productive things. And part of that includes surrounding themselves with productive people who have the right priorities in life. In that epistle, he also deals with the problem of gossip as it relates to church. Typically, he says people who are bored and who aren't very productive or busy talking about the affairs of others. And I would say that that remains very true today. In this busy world in which we live, we should spend our time around people who build us up, make us better, tell us the truth, and challenge us. Finally, this morning, final takeaway from the parable of the great dinner. Sometimes in life, we get to a place where we need to shift to a different mindset because your old mindset isn't working. Uh, right before I, I turned 40, I read David Brooks's book, The Second Mountain. It's a great book. And it caused me to stop and reflect. He says, if the first mountain is about building up the ego and defining the self, the second mountain is about shedding the ego and losing the self. If the first mountain is about acquisition, the second mountain is about contribution. If the first mountain is elitist and moving up, the second mountain is egalitarian, planting yourself amid those who have need and walking arm in arm with them. Many books have been written about the two halves of life, and many people make that shift at different times. Maybe it's 40, maybe it's 50, maybe it's 60, maybe you never make the shift, but, but middle-aged crises are real, because I can tell you I see them all the time, sports cars, affairs, addictions, boredom, you name it. Life certainly has its disappointments and dreams that go unrealized. In the first half of life, you know, we're so focused on establishing ourselves, our education, our career, our family, our reputation, our work, our business. And on that first mountain, we think that success is everything. But what's success? How do we define it? On the second mountain, we learn to value more meaningful things like faith and relationships and spiritual growth and emotional intelligence and community and service and lasting commitments Wisdom comes with age. It's not that the first mountain doesn't matter. It does matter, and it's necessary. But if that's all we ever live for, then we will be very disappointed in life. On the second mountain, I think we get to experience more joy and peace and fulfillment. You know, the older I get, I don't think I'm that old, but the older I get, the more I value meaningful relationships in my life, and I want to invest in them. 
I don't want to take them for granted. I want to also recognize certain truths like character matters and we are not what we do for a living. And faith is not a matter of things working out exactly as you planned in life. We all know that. Faith is a matter of living each day with hope and resilience in the face of uncertainty and questions and pain. And arrogance is a sure sign of insecurity. We'll talk about that next week. Humility is an admirable virtue, but it does not come naturally to many people. Humility happens when we begin to face our own shortcomings and our own flaws. And we're going to talk about that with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. But as we grow older, hopefully we start to see things differently. Sometimes we need to change our mindset. One of my doctoral advisors at Suwannee said this about the great dinner, he said, this parable is also about hospitality. You remember hospitality, inviting friends for a casual supper or impromptu barbecue, welcoming the new neighbor with a dessert or wine and cheese, taking meals to fellow church members who are sick or have had a baby. But let's also remember in this parable that Jesus was talking about welcoming strangers, down and out strangers. There's no substitute in life for being warm and kind. It's, it's amazing how far just being kind can get you. But we now live in a time where kindness and hospitality is much harder to find. And, and, and I don't know, maybe people are afraid, maybe they just never got back out there after the pandemic, but the gospel is about radical hospitality. But when you read this parable, remember, we can come up with all kinds of excuses as to why we can't do the things that we know matter. But when we do that, we always suffer the consequences. Amen.